0: Hey, hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World. I'm joined in the studio today by somebody who's actually here in person, Ian Robertson. Ian, welcome to VUX World in person. Hi, Kane. Hi, (laughs) everyone. Can you believe this is the whole point of this space was to do this so that we can have conversations like this and, and do more things like this. So thank you for christening VUX World Studios? No problem. (laughs) Absolutely fantastic. Uh, Cool. So we're going to get into a uh, a really interesting conversation today, the maze of CX. We're going to be covering some of the top things that customer experience leaders are interested in, some of the top trends in CX, some of the top barriers to getting uh, conversational automation or CX automation or general business improvements off the ground in the customer experience space. Ian has a wealth of experience uh, along that side of things, and so we're going to get into that in just one moment. But first... As you can see, I am donning the Unparsed T-shirt. Unparsed, if you do not know by now, is the leading AI practitioners conference in London June 17th to 19th, we're going to be bringing over 400 AI practitioners together. Uh, We're going to be sharing best practice, learnings around the practicalities of designing and implementing successful conversational AI systems. Whether you're interested in generative AI, large language models, customer experience automation that we're going to be getting into today, conversational user interfaces, speech technology, the whole nine yards is going to be covered at Unparsed. The tickets are on sale now, early bird tickets are on sale now, and you can get yours by going to unparsedconf.com. All right. Hopefully we'll see you on Paz, Ian, will you not? Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Yeah. Cool, so thank you for joining me, Ian. As I said, thank you for, for, uh, for coming here to the studio and doing this. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell the listeners out there a bit about yourself and, and the forum and what you, what you do and what you guys do.
1: Okay, so um, I'm, the cu- I'm one of the customer operations specialists at the forum, focusing on data and insight, but also working very closely with our quality and our knowledge management communities as well. Um, so, I've worked in the contact centre industry for well over 20 years now. Nice. Um, like most people, I started um, just on the phones um, when my university degree didn't work out. And then from there, sort of worked into um, analytics roles um, through, you know, through quality. So, um, I work now for the Forum, been there eight years now. So uh, some some of you will have heard of the forum, some of you won't. So we're essentially a learning organization, really focusing on the customer operations industries. So company contact centers, but field and branch, and also a lot of the, um, you know, field engineer um, engineer appointments, things like that, working with those operations in learning, um, through conferences, through online learning materials, Um, And also through regular networking sessions, you know, both virtual and face-to-face.
0: So so is is the job of the forum to, uh, what is it, to bring those kind of CX leaders together, share best practice, keep on top of new and current trends? Is that kind of the...
1: The goal are uh, certainly one of the goals is around sharing best practice. We've got our mm-hmm. awards program where we've I think got seventy nine entries this year, all right. sharing what they're doing around planning, quality, insight, um, and innovation. Um, some great stories come out of that every year, which we share and use that to drive the communities onwards to really sort of raise standards. Um, but also, it's not just the um, with our community, it's not just the leaders, especially now we've gone virtual um, mm. for a lot of our events. Um, it's you know, working closely with the analysts, the people starting out to really build those foundations to make sure that those big ideas that the leaders are having, um, the operations, we've got the people who can actually make those a reality.
2: Mm. And
1: that's particularly who I work closely with right. is yeah. those analysts who are you know, bringing things to life and making things happen.
2: Right,
0: interesting. Yeah, the uh, the issue of delivering what the leaders ask for. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> the uh, the the big one, obviously, in uh, the during the last sort of eighteen months, has been ChatGPT. Yes. And every kind of business leader has been wanting their own version of ChatGPT. And uh, sometimes I, I think that you know, when when they say jumping, other people say how high. Sometimes they're on the right track. Sometimes they yeah. kind of it's all with good intention, but it's not always. Aligned. I know part of, part of the stuff that we were speaking about before is, I want my version of GPT yeah. and the question is like, what for? Are you starting with the solution rather than yeah. the actual problem? You know. Yeah,
1: readers are are very keen to jump on the latest bandwagon, see see the latest thing that's being sold to them, and believe everything the salespeople tell them as well. So, I remember you know, working back in previous role as a speech analyst, the coming into into a meeting each Monday, going, mean, "You promised what?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah." <laughs>
1: Certainly pushed us on to deliver things that we never thought was possible, but probably set us up for the odd failure along the way as well. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. A lot of it's kind of like the um, a, a chief executive at a former place yeah. of mine was... They used to speak to all of the other chief executives in similar organisations. Yeah. And so really it ended up being sort of like a... You know, I don't want to use the word, uh, <laughs> because I'll swear and it'll be an expletive. But it's almost like a, just a comparison game. Yeah. You're doing this, so I'm going to do that. I want to show that I'm ahead of this, so I'm going to do that first and stuff like that. It ends up potentially being like a group of people, uh, like five or six individuals, <laughs> doing stuff that affect an entire organisation and millions of customers for the sake of kind of like one-upmanship. Among yeah, people so
1: we, we see benchmarking being misused a lot like that as well. People just setting a standard, we've got to be higher than so-and-so. Mm. I'm um, looking at the scores and not looking at what, you know, understanding why people are doing things. if you, I mean, When you talk to other organisations, it's really valuable. Mm. But the key thing is, why did you do it? Why did you do it that way? Because every organisation is different.
2: Mm.
1: So you see everyone, have got to have an MPS higher. so you end, everyone... So net promoter scores for those running the industry um you know everyone wants to get theirs higher so everyone ends up fiddling their scores <laughs> <laughs> nobody's improving yeah. customer service no one's actually driving the things that matter yeah they're all thinking actually if we don't survey this group if we um don't answer the, ask the question to them if we sift it you know mm. um, if we ask the question in a slightly different way it will give us a better score and yeah everyone's comparing something completely different and trying to
0: yeah, and you, en- you end up sort of like, you miss the point there, don't yeah. you? It's a little bit like, there's a lot of metrics. I don't, I'm not saying that NPS is a vanity metric, I don't think it yeah. is if it's used properly, but there's a lot of metrics out there that you know, have their place but are not necessarily a standard that should be used. Everywhere. Like, average handle time is a, is a great one. Like, yeah. Everyone wants to bring average handle time down. But if you look at the companies that are doing a- AI really, really well, what ends up happening is they, they kind of offload a lot of that sort of low hanging fruit up front, and what's left is all yes. of the complex stuff. The average handle time goes through the roof. Yeah, so it's kind of like those, so there's some metrics that don't always have a place you know, for yeah. everything.
1: We see that a lot, wherever you try, whether you're using AI or anything to um, focus da- um, you know, to um, remove unnecessary contacts. Um, then you'll see average handle time should increase because you always go for the easiest first and work your way up. Mm. Um, and not many organisations recognise that. So you end up really, you thinking, okay, we'll take in out 10,000 contacts so we can get to, out rid of 10,000 contacts worth of people and suddenly everything falls apart. Mm. You see that a lot. Or you set people on realistic targets so you start taking shortcuts and you end up again having bad service. Mm. But yeah, so many times... Measures become targets and then they always, you know, almost invariably drive bad behaviors. Mm. So, what we see a lot in the contact center industry is SLA. Everyone knows that eighty twenty is the industry standard, except it's not. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those bad habits. Somebody says, What should it be? I'll answer 80% of calls in 20 seconds. Mm. Nobody knows why. <laughs> it turns out it was the number plucked out of the air by the first person who thought of it who said, An American phone three rings sounds about right that's 20 seconds right and it's just gone from there and it's completely different in some organizations people are happy to wait several minutes as long as they get great service
2: yeah
1: others you know 20 seconds it's not not very good if it's a 999 call either yeah so it's every every um line company's different every line's different yeah. but you end up people thinking well great customer service is 20 seconds so we'll Cut down, target A-H-T, really hammer down, do the bare minimum in calls, give really often surface so we can get that <laughs> SLA achieved.
0: It's... Do customers care about that as well? Like, Answering my call within 20 seconds, fair enough, that would be nice. But if it was 30 seconds or 40 seconds, is that going to really make much of a difference?
1: I've not seen any data that says it does. I've seen plenty that says it doesn't. Mm. I would say it does vary depending on industries. I know some people who work in retail say actually it is quite critical there because they can just... It's their first impression. If they don't like it, they go to competitors. But I fed in sort of 100,000 customer satisfaction surveys and overlaid the wait times and there was no correlation whatsoever. Some bad score. Well, at least not until we got above about 10 minutes. Right. Then it started to ramp up. I know a few other people have seen similar things. So you do see people say, oh, I had a really long wait and that's why I've given a low score. Mm. But then you actually look and actually they haven't had a long wait. It might have been 15, 20 seconds. The definition of the wait is defined by the service you get once you get through. Yeah. Yeah. 20 seconds is far too long to wait for your inquiry not to be resolved. Whereas five minutes is no time to wait for great service and...
0: Yeah. Resolutions. The use cases are different as well, aren't they? So, yeah. some use cases are very sort of like high emotional involvement, yeah. you know, fairly complex, you expect to, you know, take a long time to sort something out. Other things are fairly flippant, yeah. short, sharp sort of things, you know. So, it, maybe it depends on the use case as well, perhaps. Um, so, what your have you always been in, into the, the CX kind of space then? What's your background?
1: So, background originally. Um, I never set out to be an um, an analyst. My ambition when I was at school was to become a research physicist. Right. Went to university to study physics. Nice. And well, I thought it was nice when I got there. But <laughs> about, about sort of six months in, I realised I'd made a massive mistake. Managed to <laughs> um, because I think one of the problems that actually I, ha- I I experienced there was it wasn't as much the maths or the calculations. I just didn't understand the questions. Yeah. Once we got into quantum physics, all those areas, I didn't actually understand what I was trying to answer. Right. So I didn't know when I got the right answer. I think that's something we see all the time. You know, it's almost like the deep thought in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, mm. where it gives the answer 42 to yeah. life, the universe, <laughs> and everything. It's just not understanding the, what the question is. Um, then means whatever answer you get isn't going to deliver. Yeah. We see, yeah, you know, working with analysts, you see that so often. I've made that mistake before. You spend, you know, spend months producing the perfect piece of work and then realise that your stakeholder had a different idea of what what they wanted.
0: Mm. Asking the right question is yeah. is the most important thing you can do, really, isn't it? It's going back to what we said before about the CEO yeah. saying, chat GPT, do it now." And it's like, what's the right question to be asking yourself first? Yeah. What's the right business problem you're trying to solve, and what's the right approach to do that? You know, like, what what are some of the other sort of like? Um, that seems to be a symptom that I think we're both yeah. familiar with. Are there any other kind of like flags that you know CX leaders and, and people that are involved in this kind of space that want to improve customer experience? Any other flags that they should be aware of? Starting with a solution is one. Is yeah. there any other kind of? I think
1: it's really going back. It's taking a step back and just thinking, what is it you want to deliver? What does good look like? Because good, what good looks like will be different for every organisation. Mm. Um, I think that that is one key thing. Is just the other is trying to go for perfection right from the start. Mm. I think too often we see people having that quest for perfection, um, and nothing's good enough. Whatever they do will fail. Because they're setting that impossible standard. Whereas if you just think, actually, I'd need it to be better today than it is, uh, you know, better tomorrow than it is today, Mm. and you keep doing that, you'll see really fast improvement.
0: Yeah. That's the uh, Toyota philosophy, isn't it? it it? Yeah. Continuous improvement. It's funny because I was at at the Cognitive Experience Summit last week in uh, Dusseldorf, (coughs) and Toyota was speaking. And it was quite cool because they gave the keynote began inside a Toyota vehicle, which was on stage, (laughs) and uh, they kind of were talking to their voice assistant and stuff like that. And then, you know, one of the questions I asked the fellow was like, "What within Toyota? How do you sort of do you have a conscious approach to things like lean and continuous improvement and stuff like that? Because they're all kind of like Toyota concepts that they made popular, you know, back in the day." But it's like, does everyone at Toyota do that? Or is, is, it, is it actually a cultural thing? Or is it just like the headlines? And he said that it's absolutely the case, is that they get lean drilled into them, continuous improvement. And that's exactly what he said, was that at Toyota, there is absolutely no such thing as, not just perfection, but they don't even, no, this isn't Toyota-wide, I can't speak for the whole Toyota, but what he was saying is that even having specific goals are pointless. Yeah. The, the goal should be, as you said, make it tomorrow a bit better than it was yeah. today and keep doing that and then you will get to where you're trying to get to. You know, Are you in surpass where you're yeah. trying to get to?
1: It's interesting, you talk about the lean philosophies. I've seen sometimes those backfire as well where it's um, often, you when know, judging you is, or going and see, seeing people and people sharing something, you're saying, well, that's not agile. Yeah. So it doesn't fit the agile method- methodology. That mm. do you think? It is agile because they made a decision on, you know, they made the right decision quickly just because they've not, you know, followed yeah. that me- methodology. And sometimes those lean six Sigma can be really valuable tools. Mm. But again, they can become restrictive. Yeah. If you've got to follow an agile tick list every time,
2: yeah. then
1: how agile are you going to be? So I think sometimes it's just making that right decision. And yeah, data led decisions, yeah, should be doing those wherever possible. But sometimes the right thing to do is obvious.
2: Yeah.
1: And yeah, if it is don't sort of spend 6 months <laughs> checking every box.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean lean six sigma is a very data intensive yes. process, isn't it? To do it properly, it's an incredibly data intensive process and I don't think you necessarily need to depending on what it is, I think I think if you if you can take kind of concepts yeah. from places like the 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 best concept from lean, which is the whole point of lean, it doesn't necessarily have to be in in as enough as much detail yeah. as you measuring the time yeah, it takes someone yeah. to wrap up on the call, but like you, as long as you understand what the idea of waste is, yeah, and stuff that's blocking and preventing value from being delivered to the customer, and the same thing with agile. As long as you understand the core concepts of delivering things early to get real in, yeah. input into it, and then iterating and continuously iterating over time, and, and prioritizing chunks of. Delivery, rather than spreading yourself yeah. across a whole load of different stuff. You know, you focus on something that could be delivered tomorrow. I think those kind of concepts are fair. No, I don't necessarily think you have to have the whole methodology bulletproof to be able yeah. to, to benefit. Yeah, them, and I mean,
1: think that's you. a lot of things you do in the learning, is you learn the concepts and then it, it's really down to you to decide what to use when. Mm. If you understand it, you've got the full toolbox.
2: Yeah.
1: You don't have to use every single tool every time you drive an improvement. It's, yeah. It's, you know, knowing what, what to do when, I think, is key and something that's forgotten.
0: Yeah. Going back to the contact center, what, what have you, what's your sort of observations on the um, current, I suppose, state of play as far as kind of customer uh, or rather customer experience automation? Obviously, this is an AI podcast. Yeah. It's obvious that AI is a, is a trend that's kind of definitely hit the contact center in recent years. But what are some of the kind of other things that you think have been really important over the last kind of 18 months, two years or something like that in, in the contact center?
1: I think actually, going back, it's the things that have been important when I started twenty five years ago, are still important. Still, that human touch is key, mm. and I think that's where um, the um, some of the AI things are falling down is because they're forgetting that actually, the AI, if it supports the humans, can be so much more powerful. Mm. Um, there are still, I was told when I started in the contact centre five years and this will all be automated, these roles won't exist. We're now getting more calls coming through than there were 25 yeah. years ago because all we're able to do is the AI is pretty much trying to keep up with the customer expectations. You know, the calls are coming, you know, there's more complexity coming in. Customers have got much higher expectations than they had 25 years ago. Mm. Um, and it is just keeping up. So what we're seeing is where it's worth. Where people are starting to make progress is where they're linking them together, where yeah, they might have an AI chatbot, but their chatbot knows where to um, when when, when to hand over to a person, yeah where you've got those two supporting each other, for example, um, I was on a chat bot a, f- a few days ago um, trying to sort, um, fix a problem um, with my thermostat, and talked through and it said, "Do this." And then um, I said, "No, that didn't work." Mm. And then it just repeated the same thing over and over again. And you know, think the somewhere, in the, yeah, that, somewhere <laughs> in the AI, there should be if I'm if I'm feeding back the same you know, the same answer, yeah. Then clearly it's not worked the first time. It's not you know, so it's knowing when to hand over. So where you are, see it coming in, supporting the processes. Mm. Um, that can be really powerful. But we're also seeing is actually the contact centre industry is not necessarily quite ready in a lot of cases, right? So, you know, with the AI support, you talk, um, you hear a lot of talk around the AI assistance where, you know, the agency is helping them as they go along, or actually giving them, you know, the AI knowledge management tools. Mm. But working on knowledge management community, a lot of them have looked into that and decided they're not quite ready yet. Right. Why because, um often when they feed in the, uh, connect it up to all their, their knowledge database, they find it's returning five different answers.
2: Right.
1: Now, that's not anything to do with the AI software.
2: It's the, it's the fact that they've <laughs> co- carried on
1: adding content and content and content yeah. and got five versions of the same process. Now, humans, in theory, know which is the right one. In practice, they don't. So yeah. what they've done is they've you know they've not said the AI has not worked. Well, some have, but those who are pushing things forward have said, OK, before we even look at AI, we've got to go and clean up what we've got, mm. take out things so that, you know, you know, rubbish in, rubbish out, they've got to really get their data in the right place.
0: Yeah. That, yeah, and that's, that's the biggest thing that's, yeah. that's come from the over the last, I would say, 18 months. As the AI tools out there have got more sophisticated, yeah. and now literally you can take some documents, yeah. upload it into a voice flow or core or Coglingy or something like that, and 15 minutes later you've got yourself a chatbot yeah. that you can talk to. But it is just as good as the data. Yeah, And so I think that's the kind of the challenge or the job to be done for most contact centers is going to be exactly as you said, how do we make sure that our data is up to date, our content yeah. is up to date, and our guidance is up to date? Um, and getting it all into a place where it can then be ingested, you know, rather than just taking every single document you've yeah. produced and throwing it at something, it's just a complete mess.
1: Yeah, but interesting. The company I spoke to had found that they're now, you know, still using AI in different ways to actually just assess the data, mm. look for duplications, look for how easy it is to interpret, how easy it is to read, how easy it is to find. Right. So using you know bots to go in and tool there knowledge management database Yeah, to try and help, help them in the cleanup process. Yeah, that's interesting.
0: It's interesting how you're saying that, that contact centres are perhaps not ready. I mean, I can understand that one instance, yes, being that knowledge needs to be in yeah. a better state and stuff like that. Um, but I think, I don't know if I mentioned it to you before, but I was at an event in London before Christmas, and it was a, a contact centre event, and... I kind of had a little mission just to go around and see what everyone's talking about and how everyone's positioning themselves and stuff like that. And so I was going around all these CCAS vendors and and CPAS vendors and asking them about their AI offering. And they all have big signs outside, AI first, AI enabled and stuff like that. And I was talking to some of them, and I don't know if it was just because it was the salespeople that were there, but very few of them even had a clue or could even explain to me what yeah. their AI capabilities <laughs> was. Some of them were just resellers for other contact yeah. centers that were also at the event. It was like, you don't actually have any AI, mm-hmm. it's your reseller. But anyway, um, the, uh, the thing that they were all talking about, and this was, I would say, every second talk at the event, three different stages, yeah. every second talk seemingly was agent assist stuff. And... Now, Agent Assist can be broken down into a number of different ways. Yeah. I know we were talking about the article I, I wrote the other week where it kind of breaks down some of those uh, capabilities, not all of them. Um, but you can use Agent Assist in that knowledge base yeah. example, helping agents find knowledge and stuff like that. That seems to be a good enough use case to me, especially if there's data that you don't want to surface in front of customers. Yeah. So having some, some tool for the agents to search that is a good idea. Um, the other is consolidating your business systems behind the scenes so that while rather than your agents swiveling between six different systems, if you could use an AI assistant to then consolidate those systems and enable those agents to actually complete transactions, oh, this customer wants to change their address, so yeah. rather than changing it in this system and then in that system and then in this system, use an AI assistant to change it once and that can propagate yeah. the, rest of the systems. So there's some things like that where I think that on the agent assist side there's some really powerful benefits that can be had. But at this event, going back to this event, the only use case that everyone was talking about was call summarization and rap code generation and i don't know And you might feel differently about mm. this because you're a lot a lot deeper into this space than I am, but I kind of left that event thinking is that is that it like is that what the what the contact center industry is pushing is call wraps and summarization not kind of rooting based on intent yeah. not self-service in the front end of your ivr or in the front end of your, all your contact channels not kind of helping the user assess what they need gather enough information yeah. from them so you can hand it over to an agent who has the full context of the conversation that can then help people straight away instead it was kind of like and it wasn't even better agent assist capabilities. It was yeah. just like these two little small use cases. So I kind of felt a bit frustrated that there's so much more value that can be found. But everyone seemed to be focusing on, on these small use cases. I don't know what your kind of yeah, assessment think, of that is.
1: Well, it's certainly, we are hearing the other sides of agencies. So I think, yeah, there's nothing wrong with the... Um yeah, you know, being able to quickly categorise calls. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a huge challenge in the industry course, because yeah. if you ask people to do it manually, it takes time, and they always pick the one on the top of the list anyway.
0: Yeah, and especially if there's three. Yeah, and three reasons for the call, you can and have an AI summarise and say, okay, it was about this, then let's yeah. talk about that. Then, but I mean,
1: something. yeah, my background in speech analytics, so we were trying to do that, right? You know, back sort of fifteen years ago, and it mm. existed there. Um, not necessarily feeding straight into the notes, but yeah, the. Key thing I've noticed with root cause analysis is there's never one cause, or hardly ever. Mm. People always try and focus on the store that broke the camel's back, but actually it's all of them. That's mm. there's talk not from ten different reasons why a customer called.
2: Yeah.
1: Especially one, especially as you start, um, you know, having sort of self self serve options. All the easy ones are going out, and you know the calls are quite complex. So just trying to put one in is wrong. So it is a useful tool, but. Mm. Actually, it's only a useful tool if you're um, trying to improve those things. It's data, doesn't need to be real-time, as long as it's stored somewhere, Mm. it already exists. But, yeah, it's handy, and I guess it's easy to do, so that's why they push it, and it will save time. But at the end of the day, so would not recording them in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's it's actually what you do with that insight next, and I think that's often... Again, people say oh, we've got to categorize all the calls and actually once they have categorised them they don't know what to do with it and that's where we're working closely with a lot of the analysts to really try and sort of turn that round and understand yeah, if you've got that information, what you're gonna do with it. Yeah. But but yeah, I think you know, you're looking at agent assist. I was talking about agent assist twelve years ago. and mm. um, the technology wasn't quite ready then, but it was very close. Mm. So yeah, the idea of the agent assist there was to be able to if a customers are if a someone's on a call, to be able to monitor to say, actually, here's what you need to you know say now, so you don't have to have loads of training.
2: Yeah, just to pop best up
1: action, Next action, best action, yeah. you know, pinging that up. Um, if you're doing a sale, to actually both um, ping up, here's, your, here's, here's what you need to say, mm. and then listen and check that you're doing it. And actually, you sort of set the alerts so you're not having to constantly check everything afterwards. Yeah. It almost... Fixes it in the call. Say so you've not said that. Don't forget to say this.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, feeding that in, helping people, guiding people through the processes. That's all the things that it's there. Technology is able to do now, but we're not on any scale seeing that being delivered. And I think that's where, again, both operations and the companies aren't quite ready. Mm. Because if you look look at it, is to understand that you need to access all different sources of data.
2: Yeah.
1: So you need speech analytics in real time, listening to the calls to understand what's being said. You need desktop analytics, understanding what systems people are using, what, what they're updating at that moment in time, then to link in your knowledge management system to understand what's the correct process to follow. Mm. All those things. Um, and you may need to uh, uh, go into your CRM to understand the, the, um, the customer's specific circumstances, who they are, and... Um, yeah, and yeah, perhaps are they vulnerable, yeah. all those different elements need to be picked out, so you need to link up all those data sources, and that is another area where contact centres and operations, very few of them are ready to have all that data linked up, and actually the providers aren't ready because everyone's focused on their system, mm. our system is the be-all and end-all. Mm. So, yeah, I've got this speech analytics system, and it's the be-all and end-all, so it can do this agent assist actually the CRM systems with a different company mm. the, um, the knowledge management's with a different company sometimes with, sometimes there's overlap but very few that have got them all joined up and working together mm. so the insight they need is not actually all available to it so it's very limited on what it can do
2: Yeah,
1: it might understand what's being said but not what's being done it might understand what's being done but not what's being said trying to bring those two together I think yeah. it's a challenge I had when I was working in speech analytics yeah um, was just joining that data up because speech analytics only highlights one part of the call.
2: Mm.
1: It, it identifies what be, what's being said, but it doesn't tell you what's being done. So a call can sound great. You can listen to it and say, actually, done all the right things, and they've not done the right thing on the system.
2: Mm.
1: Also, a lot of the data of what they need to do comes from the system. So we worked to feed that into our speech analytics system, identified 120 data points, and uploaded them overnight every day to really start understanding the picture. Mm. So if we're doing sales compliance, we understand if there'd been a sale in that call and things like that. But the problem we had was putting it in, you know, putting it in is requirements were constantly changing. Mm. People want new things and you just couldn't be agile because every time you needed a new piece of data, you gotta raise a change request. You'd be talking to finance for six months, then you'd be waiting for another six months from someone from IT to actually write two lines of sql code to feed it in I'm mm. um, paying well over the odds for that as well internally so it'd be a good year before that that request became a reality and by that time the business had moved on again it was ob- yeah you know, it was already obsolete mm.
2: yeah
1: you, know, you need to be able to set those up compare things almost overnight to really react to what your customers need mm. what your business needs mm.
0: Yeah, it's Agent Assist is, has historically been a challenging use case, yeah. hasn't it? I mean, I remember hearing from Verizon a long time ago. I um, actually spoke to the fellow, hopefully he's going to be on the podcast coming up soon, that actually implemented all of the stuff at Google for, for Verizon. Um, but that was like the first time it had ever been yeah. done, pretty much, uh, at like a massive scale. And that project was apparently immensely complex and, yeah. and all that stuff. And it's like, you know, all the things that you've just mentioned in terms of the requirements that you need to have in place... If you, if you have all of that stuff in place, this is kind of my argument for, not, not an argument, but there's a balance between the customer-facing stuff and the agent-facing yeah. stuff. And ideally, what you want is an, an AI assistant that understands what's being said, yeah. understands the intent of the, the customer, is able to, as I said, consolidate all of those business systems, which is a challenge for the contact center because you know, they the contact center are not in control of any of those land no. business systems. They just That's, have to yeah, use okay. them. So there's no wonder that they're all separate. Yeah, IT make all the decisions. And- yeah, or one department procures a system for their job yeah. and another department procures one for their job and then IT implement a bunch mm-hmm. of stuff for a few different business units. And so it's like you've got these mad systems all over the place and then someone calls the contact centre and the contact centre needs to be able to access them yeah. all. You know? And so it's not surprising that it's such a challenge to get stuff done. But if you're going to go through all of that Effort, which I believe you should do. I mean, ideally, in an ideal world, yeah. you would have kind of one team of people that are responsible for all of the technology, and they can kind of get their work done or whatever. Um, but if you're going to go through all that, all that kind of ish, all of that hardship to be able to essentially understand what a customer needs, understand what business process that relates to, help whoever the mediator is in the middle, automate that process by consolidating those business systems and bringing in the right kind of knowledge that you need and stuff like that, then you may as well take that and put it on the front end and and, and have it in front of customers as well, you know?
1: Yeah, I think you're you're perfectly right on that. It does enable that. But at the same time, I think one of the key skills that you get in um, the contact centres is actually that being able to listen to people, Mm. you know, being able, yeah, show that empathy. And sometimes just be someone to rant to.
2: Yeah.
1: that you don't underestimate just until somebody got their problem off their chest Mm. and spoken to somebody shouted at somebody ranted at somebody it's not resolved for them yeah so there is that element but it what we need to do is make sure if we are using people we're using them to really bring out those skills that they can focus on the soft skills because too often you call a contact centre and you may as well be speaking to a robot anyway (laughs) the computer says no (laughs) yeah um, so, yeah, getting somebody who, who listens, cares, puts you at ease and just allows you to vent, get it out of your system um, and show that somebody is listening, some, you know, is really mm. important, and especially now with, um, you know, so much more of an emphasis on things like vulnerability, you know, finding the right solution to people. Mm. Sometimes it's knowing when to break the rules.
2: Mm.
1: It's, you know, ha- being empowering people to say, yeah, this is what, sh- this is what the process says but it's clearly inappropriate here. Mm. So it's just that override. But, yeah, for probably a, you know, a lot of the processes, it's almost that decision. Do I want to try and di- direct that online, mm. direct that to self-serve, direct that to a chatbot? Yeah. But, yeah, we all, but also some organisations, their customers just aren't ready for that yet either. Yeah. Um, you see some operations really try and drive everyone to web chat. And their customers, it's an elderly, elderly customer base, they're not comfortable on web chat and they really, you know, it's almost that fight. So you end up having a 10 minute phone call trying to explain to somebody <laughs> how, to, how to update the web chat. And I know it's something we saw back in my old job that, you know, get everyone to register online. We'll give them a discount because it's so much cheaper. And then once we put speech analytics in, I was able to get the data
2: hmm.
1: and actually started cross referencing that data. I found calls to online customers, they called us more. Mm. And they spoke for longer because we'd marketed it to completely the wrong people. Right. Back sort of 15 years ago, we were marketing it to um, elderly people who'd never seen the internet in their life. Yeah. Um, you know, Obviously, things have changed a lot now, but then there, there was a lot of people, and you know, I still have the conversations with my dad about... Yeah, you know, doing IT support and being on for an hour, telling them how to press the X button in the top to mm-hmm. close the window. <laughs> um, so yeah, there was a lot of IT support for people who just weren't comput- you know, computer ready and yeah. actually wasn't the right choice, wasn't the right thing for them. Mm. And you, while that that point is diminishing, it still exists.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we used to kind of have that this philosophy of, of providing the digital services for those that are willing yeah. and able. And then everyone else can kind of, you know, uh, can use the other channels. But, like, how how do you sort of recommend businesses approach that issue of someone just wants something to rant about? Because we used to get that a lot. I've done a lot of work in government. And sometimes you would have, you know... Stereotyping, but it would be the old lady that wants to call and the contact centre would tell you that these people want to speak to somebody and, you know, they'll be on their yeah. phone for five minutes talking about this, that, and the other. And it's like, yes, they've got an issue, but they're also there for a conversation. Not there yeah. for a conversation, but while they're oh, uh, there. yeah. Have oh, a yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's like, how should a, how should a business approach that? Because like, in, in a world where everyone is trying to essentially uh, have people self-service as much as possible and decrease things like average handle time. There's a lot of calls coming through yeah. and it's almost as if like, it's almost as if, I don't know if you would concur, but it feels sometimes that customers are a bit of an inconvenience yeah. and so how can we just kind of like, you know, offload it? Whereas if you look at something like Tom's Shoes, they had a very famous kind of strategy where they just didn't have targets for call times yeah. and stuff like that. It was like they would just speak to anyone for as long as they want. There was one case, I think, where someone was on the phone for nine hours to somebody, something like that. But like, In in, in today's world where everyone's being squeezed, resources are tight, the contact centre has challenges enough with recruiting, keeping hold of people, workload management, stuff like that. Should contact centres be actively trying to provide resources to people that just want to vent and and stuff like that or or not? I think it's
1: almost understanding the value of those conversations that, yes, if they're not going to vent at you... Where else they're going to vent mm. is it going to be on social media is it going to be all to up to all their friends um, and it's really understanding your, your brand values mm. so depending on that uh, if, if actually speaking to people listening to people is part of your brand values now unfortunately whether you like it or not you've got to do it mm. so you look at things like you know you might have in supermarkets you've got rake rose and aldi mm very different things. Both have very satisfied customers because the customers know what to expect. So you think if LD was a contact centre, mm.
2: you, would
1: you wouldn't expect you would expect to be able to speak to somebody. Or if you did, you'd expect to have a long wait. Whereas mm. if you were phoning waitrose, you'd expect the call to be answered straight away, mm. to be able to talk for as long as you like. So it's understanding, one, the value of those conversations. Because actually, if that, that long conversation puts them at ease, turns them into a customer for life, mm or allows you to upsell products, then, you know, contact centres don't have to be a cost centre. Yeah, They can add huge value to the organisation. They can create that customer loyalty. Because, mm. yeah, if you're having those conversations, they have vented or they have just had a chat, you're now a face. So when somebody comes up to them and says, we'd like to switch to us, mm. it's you've got a relationship, it's a much harder move. Mm. So... It's understanding the value of those conversations. And yes, shift the unnecessary calls online, but actually have that have that strategy and stick with it. Mm. So if your strategy is to drive everyone online and if they don't like it tough, fair enough, go for it. Mm. But if your strategy is that you're going to be number one for customer service, then a great, um, a great customer service for that inquiry type is speaking to them, putting them at ease, mm. then you've committed to doing it. So yeah. make sure you do it.
0: Someone asked me a really good question, I thought, the other day, which um, today, today, every business, and I've said this a number of times before, lots of businesses today are pretty much the same from the perspective of Aldi is Aldi and, yeah. and Little is Little, and Waitrose is Waitrose. You can walk into any of those shops yeah. and you can buy food, <laughs> right? You can survive yeah. by shopping at any one of those shops. And they probably all sell very similar stuff as well. They've probably got the Heinz beans. Yeah. They've got the, you know, certain brands that they have. And then their own label stuff, again, it needs to meet certain criteria yeah. of being calorific food. So, So... And the same thing with cars, you know, you look at more... Fair enough, some cars are a bit of an outlier, but a lot of cars are built on the same chassis, they share the same engines, you know, they use the same suppliers for the head units and the infotainment systems and all that kind of stuff. So in a world where businesses and products and brands, not brands necessarily, but businesses and products and services are all very similar, now, today, the customer experience is the battleground for differentiation, isn't it? But someone asked me an interesting question the other day, which is, what happens when... Everyone has this kind of, like, approach that we've just been specifying, which is maybe you offload some of the easy stuff to AI, you facilitate kind of some self-service in that channel, you have people there for the use cases where they're needed. I don't know whether or not Aldi, in today's day and age, is it expected that Aldi has shit service and, and Waitrose has good, or is there an expectation that everyone should reach a baseline level of service where your call is answered in a timely fashion, your issues is resolved on the first call, the AI is handling the calls and the, and the conversations that it can and should do, and therefore everyone has this baseline of service offering. Do, first of all, do you think we'll ever get to that kind of p- place? And secondly, if so, what is the next area of competitive differentiation for businesses?
1: If I'm honest, I don't think we'll ever get to that space because... Um, I think the cost cutting is coming in faster than the improvement. Sometimes, right. I think there's you know some will, and I guess it's always the um, business will constantly evolve, and you'll always get a market leader who does something better and grows, and then you'll see everyone else try and copy them. Mm. So you will you will see that you know things will change, and you're, we're seeing it now. Is in a lot of organisations now, with inflation so high, cost of living you know cost of living high, cost really important. So often, service is taking a bit more of a back seat.
2: Mm.
1: Um, cost is becoming more important because, yeah, it's all very well uh, talking about great service, but if people if customers can't afford it, then you you've lost them. Mm. So it is a differentiator, but there is that challenge of you've got to do it at an affordable cost. Mm. That's something, yeah, you know, customers don't always understand is they want it cheapest but pu- they want everything cheap and then they want their call answered immediately and that <laughs> costs a lot of money. Yeah. And somebody's gonna pay for it. <laughs> yeah. And it's not gonna be the shareholders normally, because <laughs> that's not <laughs> the way business works. So. so yeah, there is that mix of in expectations. So yeah, where people can find cheap ways of doing great service. Mm. And that's where really the insight comes in. It's it's that race piece. As you mentioned earlier,
2: yeah,
1: there's so much waste in every process. Mm. Um, it's um a quote I had from one of the first conferences um, from head of insight, you know, one of the uh, major insurance companies. Mm. Was it's amazing how much money we spend trying to piss our customers off? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you look at the processes and they're so unnecessarily complex. They so many unnecessary steps. And what you see is people bring in a new CRM system, they bring in, you know, new phone systems, all these things, and then they just take everything that was wrong with the old one and move it into the new system. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you end up, um so now you've got all those workarounds to make the old system work, and then you're adding an extra layer of workarounds to get it to work with the new system, rather yeah. than taking a step back and actually saying, what does good look like? Yeah. What should we be doing? So there is a huge opportunity just to, take those unnecessary steps out yeah so just thinking back back to my speech analytics days one of the things that comes out of the box with that is um measuring silence in calls
2: Mm.
1: now in an average call to contact center about 25 to 30 percent is spent in silence interesting wow um which is a huge amount you think you know well, I was. We're doing half a million calls a week, average about four minutes, four to five minutes long.
2: Mm.
1: You imagine how much many millions of pounds a year are being spent on that silent <laughs> part of the calls. <laughs> um, and some of it was unavoidable. Some of it, there's, sometimes there's good silence, especially things like well, the member who, in debt recovery. And sometimes actually, a little bit of silence is much more powerful than just speaking at your customer all the time. Yeah, yeah, you know, just wired that out. Sometimes just that moment to listen, to think isn't a bad problem. But yeah, 25,
2: 30%, there's
1: some unnecessary things. And it was. So, what you could do is you could take those, you could find the areas of long silence and just listen, sit down, have a coaching conversation. What were you doing there? Why why did that take you so long? Mm. And, you know, find the thing they didn't know or the problem they've got or the fact that they were just putting somebody through to another line they knew was busy and then hanging on for 10 minutes. Yeah. Before going back and saying it'll be another ten minute wait, mm. just so they can have a breather,
2: yeah.
1: all those things. But when we sat down with a team manager and said, "Okay, let's look work together and coach it," within a month we dropped the average handle time for every call by seventy seconds without you know, whilst delivering the same level of service, right. if not slightly better, because it was one bit we were taking out was the bit that annoyed the customers, right, that waiting around. Um, now, that worked great, but then when we rolled it back to the rest of operation, it went back to what we were talking about earlier, of actually it's just another target, like the AHT uh, and everything else. Yeah. They weren't having the coaching conversations, they were just taking it as another stick to beat people with. Right. The silence is too high. And the reality is that, mo- not all, I'll be honest, but, but most people who work in, in any role are trying to do the best job they can. Yeah. If they knew how to have less silence in their call, they'd already be doing it.
2: Yeah.
1: It's they're doing it because they're stuck. So just telling them it's not good enough, unless they're swinging the lead, it's Mm. not going to make any difference. Yeah. So you might see a little boost in the first week or two while the odd person who was, you know, was swinging the lead gets um, suddenly realised they can't do it anymore. Mm. But for most of the operation, it's just another stress for them. It's another cause cause of stress because you're just giving them another target that they don't know how to achieve. Yeah.
0: And it's it's, it's coming from a bad process as well, isn't it? They're not... It's half of you everyone's been on the phone before where someone has to pause because yeah. you can hear them typing or something up, yeah, and then they'll ask you a question, then they'll pause again, or as you said you'll get through to the wrong person and then they have to yeah. wait to get someone else and then it's like the, there's whole there's loads of waste in those processes that are no one's no yeah. one's fault necessarily, and as you said, everyone's trying to do a good job, and also there's also a thing as part of the agile manifesto isn't it is it the agile manifesto I think it is which is that it might have be the manifesto, but it's part of the, yeah. the the theory, which is that everybody did the best job that they could at the time, given yeah. the knowledge they had and the resources they had available. And so it's not like that people design terrible yeah. processes. <laughs> it's just that over time, yeah, they, they kind of end up that way, you know.
1: Yeah, things change, and um, you adapt, and you, you you create workarounds. You create. Yeah. It starts off simple, and before you know it, it's complex. Yeah. Um, just so sometimes it is that go back and reset. So mm. part
0: part of the. You know, you mentioned there that, you know, if someone moves to a new contact centre system... Yeah. The, the playbook is always exactly the same, which is, as you said, let's take everything that we do right yeah. now, just get it into the new system yeah, exactly. so that we're we'll <laughs> up and running, and then we'll do all the, and the then, improvements. N- oh, n- and then they've won out of budget for the improvements. Yeah, it never they, they never do the improvements. No. So it's like, oh, well, what we're going to do first, we're going to move to this system, we're going to just duplicate everything that we've got currently got, and then we're going to make, mm. make those improvements, and then we're going to look at AI after that. Yeah. And it's like, well, why don't you do that first why don't you actually start figuring out how you what is the your future operating model what's the future of the service yeah. you want to be delivering what tools and technologies and people and skills do you need to do that and then just start working towards that because then once you once you understand that vision Everything else that's not contributing to that, like just moving your yeah. existing processes into a new system, is actively getting in the way yeah. <laughs> of, of getting to where you want to get to. You know, it doesn't seem, and, then, and then the vendors—they're not naming any names, but the vendors support that. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Just just migrate the yeah. because they just want the deal. Yeah. You know, that's mate? it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's mad. Yeah, because if you tell them it's going to take you, it's going to take you two years to be up and running. Yeah. And when you do, it'll be brilliant. Yeah. Then actually, that's probably the right thing to do. Yeah. Carry on with the pain you've got instead of saying be up in six months and. Mm. And then it's yeah, you know, I remember it, well I used to work, it used to take half an hour to um if somebody wanted to move house. Right. And you think no process <laughs> no, <laughs> no one should look at no. that and say, All I'll do is change address, and it's no, no process should do that. And she's just thinking back to awards one of the best case studies I saw, part of that was just somebody had thirty different systems, they were all a nightmare, you had to update them all. And while they're going and buying a brand you and know, brand new system and spending millions of pounds mm. with a small budget and a couple of programmers, they just built an app in three months. Right. They just sat on the front end and did you know, and just interacted with all of those. Yeah. No, it wasn't AI, it was just very simple, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah.
0: Was simple. it IPA or something like that? Pum? Was it robotic process automation or something? Or was it just I, using APIs?
1: I think they just I think it was a just a, like a power app.
0: Oh, all right. Something yeah, as yeah. simple
1: as that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, great, great story. I just, in that simplicity and then
2: yeah.
1: they found that because the system was now so simple to use it was a business to business place they could give that system to their customers so they could mm. just do things themselves yeah. and self-serve a lot of the time without having to create a new self-serve system
2: yeah
1: they worked on the principle that you know you get a new system that comes in and i remember our new crm system it was eight weeks training yeah <laughs> God. For, to use a new crm <laughs> system Oh, well, i was working in the um, escalate inquiries so we did all the things that had gone wrong you know quite a few things that had gone wrong but it was eight weeks of training mm. and then processes taking hours that shouldn't have mm. and they worked on the principle that um, you never read a manual when you go onto Facebook yeah. you never read a manual when you go onto Twitter or LinkedIn you just yeah, get on and yeah. do it yeah. so if it's if you need to do any training for the new system
0: the system's been designed system, terribly
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah and it was just very simple I think they got given a budget yeah, you know, I think you know, and just to fix the home move process on the system, I think there was a budget of twenty five million, and in my time it never improved. Yeah, they got a budget of five hundred thousand to create the CRM for everything, because they gave four hundred back. Oh my
0: god! <laughs> yeah, there is some fantastic. Yeah. So, so we we had something in the past. Uh, it was very similar to Microsoft Power Apps. Um, it was called FirmStep. It's now changed to Granicus. So it was working in government, yeah. and all it was was a forms system, it just design forms, yeah. and. On the back end of that, there was there was a very simple workflow. Yep. So if this form has these fields populated, or if these yep. pop, if these fields equal to this, yep. then send it to this person. And that person gets a form to fill out, and that's their worksheet. Yep. And then if there's a different part of the process, then it'll go from there to a different. That's all it was. Yep. Forms, rules, and that's it. And so what we ended up doing is as anyone who wanted a form to go on the website. It was like, okay, we can design your yep. form, but then where does it go? Or oh, just email me it. Oh well, actually let's not email you it because that's gonna take a lot of time. Why don't we have a look at how we can then yeah. And then even just something as simple as a web form turned into a, a, a redesigned process for how they manage that kind of work. And so you don't need to spend a lot yeah. of money to get these automation yeah. tools in place that can help you reduce that manual effort and copying and pasting and all that kind of stuff. You yeah. know
1: what I mean? I mean a brilliant example I saw of that recently is one of the water companies. In our know, wards, did um, a great piece of work with all the back office tasks because mm. you, you fill out a, a form and then, you, well, I mean, I used to work back office. You'd fill out a paper form and it get passed round and lost, and yeah. So, um, effectively, worked on the online form system, but actually thought, actually, let's make sure we give the work. We can prioritise it, work out what needs to be done when. But also, if we build it in an app, let's make use of the app. So. They looked at the process, Okay, when I'm doing this, I have to go onto this system and get that piece of information. Mm. I have to go into that system and get that piece, that system and get that piece. So as it pushes the work out, go and get it, put all that information in one place. It's just a simple go, pick and pull. It's Mm. still a manual process. Um, Well, they were looking, then what could they automate from that? Mm. But the first step is just get all the information and put it in one place mm. so you're not having to check 20 systems so now it is a simple it's a you know, a human check going you know, okay I'm still using the human element to work out what's the right thing to do but I'm not having to check the systems because it's pulling it all in
2: mm. so
1: it takes a sort of 20 minute process into a five minute one
0: yeah yeah
1: just just by you know taking that extra step at the build stage
0: yeah 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 that, that makes sense um so we've spoke a bit about Uh, about processes we spoke a bit about kind of data and stuff like that we spoke a bit about AI Um, and we spoke a bit about kind of like not vanity metrics but metrics that are not the right sort of things to measure so to speak or that drive the wrong behaviour today if you're a contact centre manager or you're an operations director or you're head of customer experience what are the key things that you should do today in order to start kind of preparing yourself for a better future, like what? Are, what's the data that you should be looking at? Like, what are the kind of strategies that you're seeing, either from your clients or otherwise, sort of employing that are, that are bringing about a better future state for customers? What are the key things that people need to start getting right?
1: I think the key thing is, first of all, as we mentioned earlier, is that step back and say, what do we want to achieve and what does good look like? Because that defines the data. Mm. Is what will the data tell you that's helping? helping you get there, speaking to as many people as you can um, and making sure the process is around improvement, your targets are around improvement, if you have targets at all, if you just, you know, it's making sure you've got the right measures in place that tell you whether you're delivering that. But it's actually just getting that strategy clear, clearly defined, and everyone understands it. Because yeah, you know, I remember back in in the past you'd come up with a really good improvement plan, it just didn't align with the company strategy. Mm. Might have still been the right thing to do, but it was a wasted effort because maybe there was something going on that was already covering that off or or in plans. So actually what do you know, ask yourself, what does good customer service look like? Mm. So seeing people now have actually almost taking the step back from, you know, the big data trying to get everything. And the first thing they're doing is actually going for deep data. Mm is going back to some of the old school techniques so just getting the um listening to 100 complaints and understanding just looking at everything you can get and saying okay what's gone wrong there mm. why did that become a complaint and not just you know a tick list you know quality sets in the journey from what you know from marketing right the way through to the end okay that was a bit confusing and finding all the things they can improve and then once you've got that you can then start thinking okay these measures would have told us we'd got, in, got this wrong or we got this right. So actually, I think too often, so much of the technology is said you can get this in to do your quality, so you don't have to listen to calls. Mm. If you're not listening to calls, then you may as well give up now. <laughs> um, you should be listening to more calls. Speech allows you to target listen to the right bit of calls. But I think, yeah, every analyst who's looking in a contact centre should spend a bit of time just playing the recordings and hearing what's happening. Mm. There's so many opportunities there. And then once you've got that, you've got that context, you understand what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad, then you can start looking for the data that will help you support that, that will help you find that. Mm. But yeah, I Mm. think it might not be purely scientific, you might be able to not quantify it exactly, but you can certainly, if I listen to one call, I can find 10 opportunities to improve. I think anyone can, it's...
0: Yeah. there's no substitute for listening to calls. Right. It's, the same, it's the same thing with AI. People think that AI is gonna sort of um is gonna yeah, either negate you from having to listen to calls or it's going yeah. to kind of lead to a net benefit and experience, which it can, but even you know, what we do uh, today and what a lot of people in the conversation I space do is You've got to spend time reading the transcripts. Yeah. Even of the automated conversations between the bot and your customer. See, yeah. You have mm-hmm. to do that. Because you have to find out, yes, you can see in the analytics or this turn there's a problem here or you know, we're not classifying this type of thing as well as we could do, but there's no substitute for just sitting down and just reading the transcripts of, of the yeah. actual interactions. Well, that's when you can really develop the empathy that you need to
1: And actually take a step back from that, listen to if it's a if it's not a chat, you know transcripts don't pick up the tone, don't pick up the voice. No, yeah, oh, it, yeah too, you know, on
0: a voice channel, yeah. So if
1: it's a voice channel, you yeah, know, listen, I think this is where the technology's shooting itself in the foot. Mm. Is you know When I was doing speech analytics, it was always sold as, if you buy this in, you can get rid of your quality team. Mm. Which, let's be honest, you spend it, you know, it's, it's a big cost for an industry, but on the scale of all the costs they've got, it's you know, a tiny proportion of yeah. what they're spending and it's probably not too much different to the cost of all the speech analytics technology and the analysts needed to support it.
2: Yeah.
1: So yeah, you'll get your ROI back just about. But at the same time, nothing will ever improve. You've just, um, having quality as a tick box. Yes, we're checking that. Mm. But you've now lost that coaching, that understanding. Whereas where we're seeing speech being used, yeah, where it's being used effectively, is where they're saying actually it's going to supercharge quality. Mm. So it's doing all the all the donkey work to free the people up to actually try and work, work on the improvement side of things, whether that's coaching, whether that's going back to the business and saying, OK, you need to fix these problems, mm. doing the analysis, still listening to some, looking at the data for some. Because then, if you look at it, the amount of waste in an or- organisation, um, yeah, quality in a huge organisation might be costing, you know, a million pounds for the quality Mm. team Mm. whereas 70 seconds of silence on every call was costing 30 million (laughs) yeah (laughs) but you know the moment you take the quality team out that 30 you know that other twenty nine millions become unachievable
0: yeah yeah that's true that yeah because whereas
1: if you use them and get people to do what they do best I think that's key for AI is use it to help people you know do what they do best yeah if you're doing that you know take all the Work out. take all the 10 weeks in training to learn a process that will be changed in 6 months time
2: mm.
1: you know, if you can you know, help them be themselves so they're on the call they're not worrying about getting out a huge folder or searching through 500 SharePoint sites trying to find yeah. the process they know what to do and then they can focus on actually putting the customer at their ease giving that great service and doing it efficiently and quickly
0: mm. I mean that's all AI is, is any, I mean, if you look yeah. at where it's working well that's basically all yeah. you're doing Even on the self-service front where you've got the AI in your IVR or in your live chat and it's having the conversations there, all it's doing, it's not always having an impact in terms of reducing the number of conversations that the agents deal with. It might reduce maybe the number of conversations in some cases, but it will increase the average handle time because you're dealing with more complex stuff. Or it might just help you serve... The people that you've got contacting you right yeah. now, you know, get rid of your wait times and get rid of. There's nothing worse than even on a live chat. In fact, waiting on hold on live chat is worse than waiting on hold. you yeah. Contacts, <laughs> you got no snow patrol or anything like that to listen to. It, yeah. So it's a, <laughs> it's a nightmare. But I think I think you're definitely kind of um, a few things that you mentioned that I think is spot on, which is from the customer experience perspective looking at the the journey yeah. level from end to end not just the conversation you're having in the contact center but the whole journey what was the sales process what was the marketing's involvement what's the kind of onboarding and what's the whole yeah. journey like and trying to optimize that I think is is incredibly sensible and you you alluded to the final question you you had um you said the 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 part of the process that customer experience leaders should be going through is to figure out what good looks like yeah so in your mind, what does good look like? What are the, some of the specifics where if you look at an organisation, there'll be a few things that you can tell. If they're doing this, then they've got good customer service. What does what good look like for you?
1: I think good um, good is matching your, your service, your customer expectations, first of all. So it's doing the data to understand what your expectations are, what do your customers want. And that could be challenging because you won't find that out from surveys mm. to a degree because you send a survey out and, uh, you know, how would you rate a company from one to ten? Well, I wouldn't. That's not the way. Mo- that's not the way the human <laughs> yeah. brain works. It doesn't thinking numbers. You know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you start some- you ask somebody how are you today, they don't go seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and if you ask them, do you want this? They will always say yes. So it is around yeah. you know, asking the right questions, drawing it out, and sometimes that comes again from the data. So, for example, we were talking earlier about the um, the wait times. What is the right wait time? Well, there's all sorts of clues in your data.
2: Mm.
1: When your customer hangs up, that tells you it's too long. Yeah, There's lots of data on that. Exactly what's the point where customers start to hang up? Mm. Now, averages don't work because a lot of customers hang up as soon as they get through because they suddenly realise it's the wrong line or they press the wrong button or mm. things like that. But yeah, looking at that, actually looking at where, customer satisf- you know, where it starts to affect customer satisfaction, all those things help you understand what what good looks like. And it will be different for everybody. So, you know, the, the, how, how you deliver service, and again, it, it can always be better. You'll never get the perfection. So it's almost looking at it and saying, what did we do when the customers were happy? What did we do when they're not? Mm. Actually, it's just taking, you know, looking at all those problems you've got and trying to take those out. Um, and it is being prepared to look at in every direction. Mm. So one, you know, great examples are seen in quality is where quality processes, it used to be a tick box with 30 questions. Now we're seeing quality really change to just sort of three or four things and are we delivering the right outcome? And if not, it's not always the advisor's fault. In fact, very often it's not. Mm. It could be the process they've been given. So actually quality should be looking both ways. Yeah. So um, the best quality framework I ever saw was two questions. What could you have done to deliver a better customer experience and what could we have done?
0: Mm. Interesting.
1: Interesting. That was one of the um, f- first use of um, AI I saw as well. Right. We thought if you're doing that, let's not give the um, let's not focus on the calls we normally would because mm. yeah, quality. I will do a three minute call, then I can get them all done in a. Mm. I can get hundreds done in a day. Yeah,
2: yeah. So yeah.
1: I've got I've got um, quantifiable data that's absolutely useless, <laughs> as opposed to perhaps going a little bit unquantifiable actually, let's look at what calls tend to generate complaints, what's going to be difficult, what's going to be challenging, where are we going to get our problems? And then it pushed those forms to the quality assessors Mm. to then go and have those coaching conversations.
2: Right.
1: And again, the other thing that I'm able to do with that was, again, freeing up from those targets.
2: Mm.
1: Scrap the quality score. It's not a scoring thing anymore. It's about identifying the improvement. Right.
0: So that was so you mentioned there that there's those two questions that was what they, that what you would ask the customer.
1: No this was around actually just when they were sitting with a uh, uh,
0: so and that was agent. with the agent Oh, so, Okay right fine yeah. But yeah. yeah
1: again there was um the best way customers tell you what they want is by what they do.
2: Yeah.
1: So the data's there like if they hang up the phone if they complain
2: yeah if
1: they leave you to a competitor leave you for a competitor. If they call you in the first place Mm. Something's gone wrong. Yeah, in, in most in most cases, occasionally something's gone right that you have put a marketing campaign out and it's mm. led to the right thing. But then you'd say actually yeah, there are things that could self serve.
0: Yeah, <laughs> unless they're just calling you to tell you how how uh, yeah. how well you've done, which doesn't happen.
1: No, I've <laughs> no, I think in my um, time of speech analyst analysed fifty million calls and didn't find one of them. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. Nice. yeah, yeah, that's good, that's good, that's good stuff. Well, I think we're just up on time, but thank you so much no for problem. joining Thanks. us, Ian. it's been absolutely fantastic. Um, the forum, where can people go to find out more about the forum?
1: If you just go to um, www.theforum.social.
0: Perfect.
1: Um, we've got all, all the um, events on there, um, you know, regular webinars, there's plenty of free content as well as member content. Yeah, so just go on the website, have a look, or drop me a line I'm on one LinkedIn. Perfect. So you should see me if you've dialed in on the LinkedIn live. You'll see my yep. contacts there. Reach out to me. Nice.
0: Perfect. Well done. Well, we'll we'll put this. We'll put your details in the show notes. We'll put the link to the forum in the show notes. There's a the event that you're running in. April, the twenty third
1: of April, face to face conference in Manchester. Is um, that open to
0: people to come to? Is it members only or can people can people join?
1: Um, it's members. People people can buy buy tickets as well. All right. But yeah. um, also we do it vir- virtually afterwards. Right. Um, but we also have our networking groups, which are taking place through March. If you're not a member, you can certainly join one or two of those to get get a taste of what we're doing. So just go to the website, have a look at, in the events and the networking groups, come along to those, about 15 different specialist topics. I think 16 now, because just introduced a complaints one. Right, nice. Um, and it's just talk, a chance to come along and talk to people in similar roles in completely different organisations. Sometimes people share some of the work they're doing, a challenge they've got, a question they've got. Um, it's different every time, but mm. yeah, come along, have a chat on those, yeah, so you can see the learning content we we do, there's plenty on there. Nice. Yeah, so I think hopefully you'll be there with us in April. So. Indeed, yeah, hopefully, yeah, Hopefully.
0: So. yeah, I'll be there in Manchester, innit?
1: Manchester, yeah, 23rd yeah, 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 yeah. of April, I think you, I think you Speak in there.
0: So. Yeah, 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 I'll be there, yeah, definitely looking forward to that, yeah. Uh, that's brilliant Yeah, so there you go theforum.social check that out and uh, thank you all for joining us it's been an absolute pleasure Ian thank you again for coming Thanks, in, and, coming down to the yeah. studio and christening this space and thank you to Taras for, uh, yeah. for being the producer there the man on the boards mm-hmm. on the keys and uh, we'll see you uh, on the next one very soon thank you so much